Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. I believe often in the center of worship is going to be gratefulness. Now, when you hear gratefulness, it's that simple little thank you. But when we learn today, what we're going to learn on a question and answer fashion in the notes is we're going to learn deeply what is gratefulness, and we're going to understand that gratefulness really is coming from a deep intimacy with the Lord by way of reason. And so we want to understand what that whole thing is about it. So now, with that in mind, that the missing link in church today happens to be worship, and the center of that needs to be gratefulness, what about when we struggle with being grateful? I had a passage of Scripture read to us by our friend Phil, and he did a great job. And if you have your Bibles, your electronic Bibles, if you'll open them up for a moment, I want to kind of, kind of go through it and give you some thoughts that's from this passage as we lean in the direction of worship. So open your Bibles, and you're going to turn again to Ephesians chapter 5. Those of you that are new, that's okay. When you open your Bible, it's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, or General Electric, Pepsi-Cola. However you want to remember it, you want to go to electric right now, all right? Chapter 5, if you will. And I want you to look in chapter 5, because I want to talk about the Spirit, because I really believe when we are truly grateful to the Lord, authentically, genuinely, and a kind of gratefulness upon which the Lord will smile, I believe it's going to be wrapped up in His Spirit. And so let me show that to you from Ephesians chapter 5. And you might want to have your pens ready because I'm going to give you a little bit more than, than what you're paying for this morning from this passage. Just to hope you get a little bit on it. So if you will, go in chapter 5, and you're going to particularly uh, begin looking at um, verse 5, 15 rather, 515. Uh, Paul is writing to the Ephesian church, and let's pretend for a moment we are the Ephesian church and that Paul is writing to us. And here's what he says. Therefore, be careful how you walk, basically not how you walk upright or sideways, it's how you live your Christian life, how you walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise. In other words, you want to be a wise guy and a wise gal for God, and to be wise means that we have as much of God's Word in our mind as we possibly can, because true wisdom is in Christ and it's found in His written Word. So if we want to walk wisely, we want to walk according to His Word. Go a little bit further. Then in verse 16 it says, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. In other words, make sure you use your time wisely. You want to do the things that are the most important. Yesterday I quoted one of my favorite little poems for my life that guides me. Good, better, best. Never let it rest till your good is better and your better is best. So what we want to do is use our time as best as we can so that we take advantage of every opportunity that's given to us. Let's go a little bit further now. So then verse 17 says, So then don't be foolish. What that tells me is Stan you have a proclivity to foolishness. So be careful, you can be foolish, and you don't want to be. But here's the key part, it says, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I don't think there's anyone of any age who seriously wants to do right who wouldn't want to know what is God's will for their life. If you're a young person thinking about where you're going to go to school, you're going to be saying, Lord, what's your will? What school is your will for you to go to? If you don't know what it is, I will tell you. It's Florida Bible College. Let's move on. I'm, I'm joking, of course. But the point of the matter is you want to see what is God's will for my life. If you are now in school and you're getting your education, you want to be putting tools in your mental toolbox that you can pull out to build a better society for the glory of God. So that means what is your calling? What do you want to do with your life? 
So, Lord, what is your will for my life beyond education? Then we can move to some of you that are changing careers. And in this group, as there's so many baby boomers today all over, you're asking the question, what do I do when I retire? I have all this time, what do I really do? And I can tell you what you're going to do. You're going to do all the things your wife told you to do on the honeydew list that you didn't do. Now, once you get that done, then what's the rest of your life? What are you going to do? Now, I don't want to get into so much what school, what career, and what little jobs around the house because I really believe God's will is much deeper and broader than all of that. And so I believe to do the will of God, here it is, this is key now. If you want to do the will of God, you want to know the will of God, you want to do the will of God, the will of God is all revealed in His Word. So right now, all you're saying is, Lord, I want to know Your Word, I want to do Your Word. If I know Your Word and do Your Word, then I will know Your will and I will do Your will, and I'll be in God's sweet spot, like the center of the bat. I'd be right where I ought to be. Now, you want to know what's the will of the Lord. Okay, what's the will of the Lord now regarding the Holy Spirit and certain dynamics in my life? I am moving towards gratefulness. Okay, so let's stay with me on this. I want you to go deeper than just, you know, five points in a poem. I want you to know really where the root of it is. So let's go back now to Ephesians chapter 5. So he says, understanding the will of the Lord. What is the will of the Lord? Verse 18, and do not be drunk with wine, for that is destruction. All right, basically that's what dissipation is. It leads to destruction. All right, so do not be drunk or influenced, so influenced by wine that it changes your thinking and your behavior, and then it has consequences, for that is destruction. Now, the point I'm making here is not whether or not you can drink wine. The idea is drunkenness here on that, but it's more than that because it goes to the next phrase, which I think is really the primary point he's getting at. But be filled with the Spirit. Now, why would he talk about drunkenness on one side and filled with the Spirit on the other? I would like to say it this way. Some people define be filled with the Spirit that I'm going to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. I've used that for years and years and years. I heard that growing up in Bible college even. But the more I study Scripture, it's not so much that the Holy Spirit totally controls me like I'm a marionette, okay? It's more that He fills me. He completely now influences me. That fits better when I say don't be drunk with wine. When I'm drunk with wine, that means that alcohol changes my chemistry and my body and my mind, my, my whole chemistry that influences me to be another person than what I really am. Are you tracking with me so far? So now what I want is I want to have the Holy Spirit, I want Him to have complete filling in my life, so influencing my life that it's as if He's controlling my life because He now has my life. Are you still tracking? I need to divide two other thoughts. One is, when do you get the Holy Spirit? What's the difference between the infilling of the Holy Spirit and the indwelling of the Spirit? So listen very carefully. Those of you on radio, especially, I want you to listen now. The Bible says that when you trust Christ as Savior, you get all of the Holy Spirit, the moment you trust Christ, in you, all of it, all of it, at the moment you trust Christ. The difference between being indwelt now and being filled is this. It's not how much more of the Holy Spirit you get as a Christian, because you already have all of Him. It's more how much more of you does He get. So it's you yielding to Him. So when He says, I'm going to influence you, that is only based upon how much I'm willing to yield to Him. Let me use another earthly illustration. And I hate earthly illustrations because um, they'll always break down. When they were building this building years ago, I think it was about 20, 21 years ago when they finished up the building here. You know that they had all the big power sources outside. They ran the big wires to the building. They had wires in the building. So all of it was right here. And then they threw the switch when we got our certificate of occupancy, paid our light bill to get the deposit in, and boom, the lights came on. And I'm grateful for the lights that we have. I'm even more grateful for electricity in the summer when it's so hot. We have it here. 
So the moment when that happened, when we trusted Christ, we got, boom, all of that power. But it's only there provisionally for us, and the only way that power will influence us, the only way the lights will influence us, the only way that the air conditioning will cool us is if we throw the switch. So we have to yield to the, to the process of getting that electricity to now work for us. It is a willful choice. And so now when I yield to the Lord, to His Spirit, He's already there, now that Spirit can have an influence. And to the degree and to the frequency that I yield to the Spirit, to that degree and frequency will He have the positive influence in my life. Now, this would be a great time for me to lay my message aside and go through a whole list of verses and passages that talk about what it looks like for the Holy Spirit to be influencing your life and spend weeks on the fruit of the Spirit. I'm not going to do that. But I will give you this little bit as we talk about gratefulness. Stay in the passage now. <clears throat> I love this. I love the Word of God. They, they say, well, we've got to make the Word of God relevant. No, we don't. It's already relevant. we just got to preach it. You know, just kind of let the... I would say the cat out of the bag, but I shouldn't say that. We just you know, let him out and let him roar, as Spurgeon says. Go on to the passage. He says, and do not be drunk with wine, for that is destruction, but be influenced by the Spirit. Now, how will I know that I'm influenced by the Spirit? Now, this is where you want to get your pens ready. All right, verse 19 says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. In my margin, I wrote, if I am influenced by the Spirit, one of the things that are going to immediately begin to be different will be the music that I listen to, the music that I sing in my heart, and the music that I share outwardly, and to the object that I'm singing it, and for the purpose that I'm singing it. So my whole new song in my heart now comes out. So I will be singing unto the Lord. All right. So that's going to be the influence of the Spirit, in this passage at least. All right. What's the next influence of the Spirit? It goes on to say, verse 20, Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And in my margin, I wrote, if I am fully influenced by this, by the Spirit, then I will be giving thanks. All right. Or here's the way to say it. I'll be singing to the Lord. I'll be saying thanks to the Lord from my heart. And so now I can overcome those bad days when I really feel like I don't want to be thankful and I want to be real. Well, if you really want to be real and you won't say thanks to the Lord because you don't feel like saying thankful, then why don't you then go back to the Lord and say, wait, I'm not filled by the Spirit. This is indicative of my lack of feeling, uh, uh, Spirit filling. It could be that I'm sitting in a room right now with the lights off and the air conditioning off in a very dark room and I'm blaming it for being dark when we had all the power there and we chose not to yield to that power by throwing the switch on. Okay, So we got so encompassed by the darkness instead of realizing how much more power. And let me tell you something. There is more juice in this room right here than we even have the lights up on. We'll always have more from God than we'll ever be able to use. God's commandments come with God's enablements. So I can say thanks. Now I'm going to have to leave the thanks for one second because I want to stay in context. Go to verse 21 now. And then it says, "...and be subject one to another in the fear of God." Now, if you take it through verse 22 and the rest of the chapter and going into chapter 6, you're going to see all the groups and how they're to be subject to one another, all being subject to, to the Lord. So here's how I look at this. In verse 19, if I'm filled by the Spirit, I will be singing to the Lord. In verse 20, I'm going to be saying thanks to the Lord. In verse 21, I'll be submitting to one another in love. In other words, I'm here to serve you. You're here to serve me. We're here to serve one another. And we do it as unto the Lord. And how can we do it when we have those grouchy people in our life? As Littower used to say, uh, the, the irregular people in our life, 
Do you have any irregular people in your life? Raise your hand. Anybody have irregular people? Okay, now don't look at your mate. Okay, <laughs> all right. We all have those people. How do you make it? We can't make it in the flesh. The world does that. They, they, they distance themselves from them. They get away from them. They talk negatively behind their back. What do we do? We submit to the Lord. We sing praises. We say thanks. And then we submit to one another in love, just as Jesus did. And we cannot do that apart from His supernatural Spirit of God activated in our life that's already there by the indwelling when He now influences us by our choice. Are you there now? So that's my introduction, all right? So let's go into my, right, my message here from that. So you understand it's going to come from the Lord. Now, while we do all of that, the question is, is what is gratefulness? I have tried to, I've tried to take just about all the verses I could in the Old Testament, particularly when the temple was being built, the wall was being rebuilt, all of that, and I wanted to reduce it so you parents could then give it to your kids, your grandparents could give it to your grandkids, put it somewhere, kids kind of know this, all right? It might help them to take the whole issue of gratefulness and reduce it to one sentence, and then you can work off of that with a lot of other verses. So here it is. What is gratefulness? Gratefulness is expressing appreciation for benefits received from God and others. Gratefulness is expressing appreciation for benefits received from God and others. I will be building a little bit more on this, but I want you to understand that while we say thanks to the people that are around us, and that's important to do, we get all of that, but I would like to kind of crank it up a notch, turn up the volume. Why don't we say, Lord, we thank you for that person you brought in my life who's done this for me. So when you send your thank you notes, you can say not just, thank you for mowing my yard. You could say, I thank the Lord for bringing you into my life that you did such an act of kindness and service to me. So God gets the glory first. So we're expressing it to others, but we're expressing it to God, our true appreciation for all of that. Now, I've listed for something here in case you want to have some of your uh, devotions. I've given you, I don't know, two, four, six, eight, um, probably ten different passages in Psalms alone that, that is embedded in that psalm, the idea of gratefulness. I would love to preach on these because they are so rich. It's like going to a buffet. How many, how many like going to buffets? You know, I, I don't care what kind of a buffet it is, you know, whether it's, I won't mention names, but I, I just like buffets. I, I really buffet my body. You know, I should buffet it, but I buffet it. Psalm speaks of gratefulness in Psalm 30, Psalm 50, Psalm 69, Psalm 92, Psalm 95, Psalm 100, Psalm 105, Psalm 116, Psalm 136. I think God really wants us to know about praise, doesn't he? And what's so cool is the psalmist got it. The psalmist got it. And so he's expressing the praise. He's encouraging others to do it. He is praising the Lord. And when I use that, I'm using it in the context of praising with the attitude of gratefulness to the Lord, the attitude of gratitude. So then I thought, okay, I'm going to go off the reservation on this. You've got all the praise. Who does not really give praise? You know, you think, who in the world wouldn't give praise? Well, Scripture says, in Romans chapter 1, it says the unsaved, the non-Christian, the non-believers, that they are ungrateful, okay? Now, I want to be careful. It says that in their heart they're ungrateful. Now, some of you might say, but I've seen a lot of grateful, unsaved people that say a lot of nice things, and I really get that, all right? But at the heart of them, my question is, is, is it biblical thankfulness? Are they thankful on a, on a hum, humanitarian level rather than on, I'm thankful truly to God for these people? 
And so really you're going to find that I'll become more like the world when I don't express proper, authentic gratefulness to God first for those people and things that happened in my life. I'm saying this very carefully here. How much we need to thank God. And the unsaved may give their thankfulness to the Lord, but the biggest thing that God wants from them is it coming from a heart of His own children and that they don't do that. So let me just widen this thought. Many of you Christians a long time, you will understand, you have what we call the, uh, the conflict of the ages. The conflict of the ages is, is God versus Satan. And it's not like the old Mad Magazine, Spy versus Spy, all right? Who would, who would win out, okay? The, white, the, the one in the white outfit, the one in the dark outfit, who would really win out? With God, God always wins. But now what you have is called the secular worldview over here. Then you have the biblical worldview. You have the secular mindset of how they operate, and then you have the biblical mindset how they operate. Let me make this clear. Some of the secular can accidentally hit some of the biblical stuff, but I don't know at the very root they can because they are dead, 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 dead in their their relationship with the Lord. That's why God has to bring them back to life again spiritually, not again, but bring them back to life by placing their faith in the Lord. Let me go over here. The other side is you can have a lot of people that are biblical. They have the biblical worldview. They have a Christ-centered, Christocentric life, commitment, etc. But sometimes they then miss out and then they treat other people from a secular worldview and they don't really express the gratefulness that they ought to. So let me say this. The second time there's ungratefulness expressed in the Bible is not just the wicked do this. They're not grateful. In Timothy, Paul speaking to Timothy says, in the last days people will be more and more ungrateful, or flip it, less and less grateful. Now let me just ask you, just you, ask yourself, are you sensing that in our world today, that, that there's more polarization, there's more hatred, there's more anger, there's, there's, there's not an ability to find something about the other person to really say thank you, God, for that person, that they're either in or they're out, they're all bad and no good? And so I don't want to slip in the direction of the world and be so judgmental and have such an attitude of discernment that I forget that in the middle of all of that, there still is some good that I can thank God, even for that wicked person that violated me. What could I learn? Let me flip it to you in a way that um, spoke really to me. As a young guy in ministry, most guys that go into ministry, not all, most, they cut their teeth in doing youth work. It's like, okay, you do youth work, you know, practice on the kids, and then when you get good, then we'll give you a church. All right, kids, don't listen to that because you got one. That you in this church, you have some great youth leaders. They're they're really good, except for one. All right, not just joking, just joking. But I want to say this though. I remember that I went to this youth group and it was dead, 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 dead. This guy never smiled when he led it. The kids are rolling their eyes, you know, and their parents are making them go there, you know. And it's like, okay, time to go to prison, you know, that kind of thing. And I sat there and I thought, I, I have to thank God for this. How how can I thank God? And what I did is I thank God that I was able to experience what a dull youth group is and say that I'll never be like that until I learned that that's pride. And we're going there today because some of us have that attitude of pride. I'm glad I'm not like that person, you know, and God doesn't want us to be like that. All right, let's go a little bit further here because I think this also is important, and that is that before gratefulness can be expressed outward or even upward, it must reside inward, inward inward. 
That to me is so important that you probably hear me say that nearly every Sunday, that our Christian life is lived from the inside out. That it really is and that needs to come from the inside. I look at David. He was so King David in the Bible. I, I think David was the greatest king that Israel had ever known. I know that he was a man after God's own heart. I, I know that, and you know that. Scripture says that. But as I look at David here, no matter how powerful he was, no matter how much God used him, I mean, I mean, he was famous, famous guy. We still love to read the biography of him in Scripture, you know. I look at all of that, but deep within his heart, he never, rarely ever forgot who's large and in charge. You agree with me on that? And so wherever he was, he did that. So now I'm, I'm reading through this whole thing on gratefulness in Scripture, and I'm looking at in the, in the, in the Old Testament, when he, when, when he was doing great things, he then called the Levites, which are the priests. They're the ones that were really kind of responsible for setting up the temple. They were doing some great things like bringing the people to God and bringing God to the people in those days. Those were the priests, the Levites. He then selected the Levites, and he says, okay, Levites, what I need you to do is go about and get all the people to play instruments, okay? And he said, I want you to bring them all together. Then he went to the heads of Judah, which is another group, and he said to the people of Judah, he says, you heads over here, I want us to get together a choir. So then he pulls this choir together, and while he's doing all of this, he's telling the Levites, and in the King James Version, it says he wanted them to record the works of God, and then in the next few verses after that, next few words after that, he says, for the expression of gratefulness or thankfulness to the Lord. And as I'm reading that in the King James, I liked it because it said to record. And technically, the Hebrew in there is more like remember, don't forget, you know, think about the wonderful works of God. So the recording part is for me, Stan, you need to write this stuff down. Now, I could write down all the good stuff he's done in the Bible, because I think every biblical principle can be backed up with a biblical illustration. But then there's practical things in my own life. People have given us cars. People have come over and done things around the house for us. We've got a bag of grocery once in a while. You guys are very generous in supporting Carol and me. So we have a lot to thank God for. So we need to write this down because there's going to be a day that we're on the side of the street with no car and nobody's going to give us one. So what we do is we don't put God down. We thank God for what he's done in the past because it tells us this. If he did it before, he can do it again. Amen. And so I want you to know, don't look down on God and all. So he did all of this. Now, that was so cool because David couldn't do it by himself, although I believe he played some instruments. He wrote a lot of the Psalms, so he's a musical guy inside. All right, But he calls one of his buddies with him. His name is Asaph. Asaph was like the worship leader of the Jews. So now he comes with all of his buddies and put this huge choir together. It's just, it's just resonating with praise and worship and excitement. And, of course, I believe in the background there was the rattle of the swords because they were warriors, all of that. Now, fast forward that to the time of Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah's over here, and he's calling basically the same group together, but this time he divides the choir into two groups. He said, okay, you go right, you go left on the wall, and what we're going to do, we're going to turn around, we're going to face each other, we're going to sing praises to the Lord, we're going to worship the Lord, and express our gratefulness to the Lord. It's going to be one big crescendo. Hopefully, it'll be heard all over Jerusalem. Now, what's so cool about that, and when you read it in, in uh, chapter 12, is that he used David and Asaph as his example to go do that. So why am I telling you this? So we would do the same thing. Now, it's not that, okay, you side of the room, you sing one praise song, you sing the other. I'm not going to do that. But I am saying, though, that we have examples that people went public with their praise and thanksgiving to one another. And I can only imagine what it must have been like with all the challenges that they had, especially in Nehemiah's time, all the challenges that they had, then to have these people... Come and sing praises 
I've had the privilege of going to some of the, um, in the early days of the 90s, uh, the Promise Keepers events. Some of you know that already. And so while I was uh, asked to come, I remember the first time I was in one of the stadiums. There was like 65,000 men. I've never been around 65,000 seats of testosterone in all my life. There's these guys, rough and tough, hard to diapers. I used to say hikers to bikers, you know, that kind of thing. They're all in this group. And then they started to sing. And then they had the T-shirts. Do you remember the T-shirts in those old days? Real men do what? Sing loud. (laughs) That's what it said. Real men sing loud. Hear that, guys? Hint, hint. All right, real men sing loud. I never experienced the kind of music from 55,000-plus men sing loud, praise music in unison. The word, I'm a preacher, so the word kind of kicks, trumps the rest of that stuff. But when I hear that stuff, when I heard those guys, it did something for me that I, I, I can't even express to you when you hear these men just singing loud to the Lord. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.